Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature Podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I'm speaking with Craig Barton. Craig is an author, maths consultant, former secondary maths advisor to TES, and OG podcaster who originally hosted a TES podcast before going on to produce the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast and Tips for Teachers podcast. For me, this was an enormous highlight of my own podcasting experience so far, given that Craig's was the first teaching-focused show I ever listened to to many years ago when was responsible for my discovery and interest in the likes of Dylan William, Adam Boxer, Daisy Christodoulou and many more who have ultimately enhanced my teaching to a better and better standard. We discuss a brief summary of Craig's transition from teacher to podcaster to author to consultant, what his typical working day and week looks like now that he's doing a variety of roles, whether the fantastic amount of publications, podcasts and other media we now have access to can lead to a sense of professional dysmorphia, how Craig has managed to juggle his many ventures with kids, Craig's advice for someone who sees teaching as their passion, wants to help as many people as possible and wants to work hard at establishing themselves as a writer, consultant or podcaster. And finally, what's motivating him to create such brilliant resources and what he's got planned for the future. Thanks again to Craig for finding a time in his busy busy schedule and being so candid and insightful with his responses. All of his writing, broadcasting and other services can be found in the show notes and I would strongly encourage you to check them out. If you want to be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Um, okay, Craig. So I think the first time I listened to one of your podcasts, I can't remember if you were still a teacher in the Northwest um, or not, or if you'd moved on to doing some consultancy and, and this kind of thing. I'm not quite sure, but for anyone who's listened or for anyone who hasn't listened to your podcast, I suppose actually more pertinently, you, you went from being a math teacher uh, to a podcaster at the same time, then an author and, and a consultant and a number of different roles. So um can you give us like a brief summary of your transition in each um sort of position that you've held and what made you want to make that those respective transitions yeah of of, of course um the problem is chris i'm old these days right and I, I lose track of dates and times and all sorts but i think i've got a rough timeline so i started teaching in 2005 i think i took a kind of gap year after university and then went straight into pgce and, and teaching there uh, in informed me and um, uh, so i've always kind of been in, in in the northwest and then i was very lucky i got made um tes maths advisor around about i think maybe about 2010 or something like that and as part of that role they wanted me to start a podcast up the tes maths podcast and this is when podcasting was was reasonably in its early infancy and that was great i could just invite kind of teachers on similar format to my podcast but about an eighth of the the, the kind of dur- length of du- duration they were very kind of short sharp interviews like half an hour something like that um, but that was back in the day where, because there wasn't that many podcasts, you were number one in the flipping education charts um, all the time, and it was it was re- it was really really good. And Tez really enjoyed it. But then after a couple of seasons of that, um, they decided to do something different. They they didn't want to commit to to the podcast side of things. So I was still teaching full time um, at this stage, and then I just thought, 
you know, I'd like to do this myself. It was, it was pretty easy to set up in terms of low cost and stuff. So around about, I want to say maybe 2015, end of 2015, again, still teaching. Um, I decided to start up my own podcast. Um, yeah, just cause I, I very selfishly, um, like learning from people. That was the sole reason I just wanted to have this opportunity to speak to people. It's a lot easier to say to someone, do you want to come on the podcast? And it is kind of just kind of have a random chat mm-hmm. with you. So it was a really good vehicle for that. So it was very easy to manage kind of time-wise. Because again, I just would do do it every couple of weeks at the weekend and stuff whilst I, whilst I was teaching. And then kind of a number of things happened. Um, I I wrote a book, How Wish I Taught Maths, and that that did really well, a lot better than, than I thought it was going to do and the publishers thought it was going to do. That was in 2018, I think it was, something like that. I mean, as a result of that, I got a lot more opportunities to do talks um, all around the world, um, visit different places and so on. So I made the decision then in 2019 to say to my school, um, I don't want a timetable for next year. I'd still like the opportunity to come in and do work with the kids and work with the staff and so on. But if it's okay, I don't want a timetable. And then that that was where I was at in 2019 and as and ever since. Yeah, I've been free to either support schools, do keynotes, do workshops, and and mm. do various things. Um, whilst the kind of podcast has been ticking over in the background, so that's kind of a bit of a potted history. It, to what extent did you have any of those different stages in mind, kind of looking forward, so to speak? So when you were doing the tests, maths podcast, you you might have thought to yourself, well. I'm going to do one of these for myself one day. I think that that's like a fair assumption mm. to make. But then were you one of those people that thought I've got a book in me, like I will write yeah, a book one day for teachers and or did you think you, you would do consultancy? And if not, when when did it sort of start to, to occur to you that you wanted to do those things? Yeah, it's a good question, Chris. Um, so the... Yeah, I think the order it kind of went in was I took a um, a year after I've been teaching for a few years in Formby. I went to Australia uh, for a year. My girlfriend at the time was was Australian, and it was during that time where I did a lot of my TES work, and I also started kind of creating my own resources. And that's when I set up my Mister Barton Maths website, mm. and that then led to quite a few opportunities again to kind of share resources, and teachers would get in contact and so on. But it was when I then came back to the UK. Um, and I started kind of reflecting on my practice. And particularly when I was doing the podcast, I realized a lot of what I'd been doing and I thought was good practice was potentially a bit dodgy. Um, the first mm-hmm. time I read any form of academic research was probably 12 years into my career, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a big fan of writing. I've, I mean, I like to keep this quiet, but I've written a fair few fiction books. They're, they're, they're bloody awful, Chris, if I'm, if I'm entirely <laughs> I honest. I didn't know you, that. You, no, and I, I will, I'm already regretting saying that already, but you, you can find them in the kind of dark web. I think there's a few copies still knocking around, but I've always enjoyed writing. Um, and I was always thinking, yeah, probably write an education, but one day, but I wanted like a good narrative structure. And this idea of somebody who's been teaching for 12 years, always got good off- offsteads and always kind of, you know, been held up as a fairly decent teacher. I was advanced skills teacher, all this kind of thing. But then who actually essentially wakes up one day and realizes most of what he's been doing is probably wrong or suboptimal. Mm. Um, I just thought it was a quite a good narrative there. And that's where the idea of how I wish I taught maths came from. And I wrote that oh, super quickly, like six weeks, something like that. Um, because it, it just flowed. There was so many, <laughs> I've made so many mistakes. It was very easy to describe the mistake and, and the correction. And the podcast really helped with that because 
what, during the writing of the book, I could say, well, I interviewed Dylan William and he said this, and it made me think of this, or I interviewed mm-hmm. Tom Sherrington and he said this, and it made me think of this. So the podcast and the book really went hand in hand, both in terms of the writing of the book, but then also when the book came out, the podcast did better. And then the podcast did better and the book did better. And it, and it worked, it really worked like that. So cut a long story short, I always wanted to write a book, but I needed that narrative and this kind of essentially my career failing felt like like a good yeah good story that other teachers could relate to mm, yeah absolutely i think um so you're kind of living um a life now that maybe a lot of teachers aspire to certainly teachers who have got a young family or a family of any description that kind of want to get a bit more flexibility that you don't often get with teaching in the sense that you're well i would assume a little bit more freer in the sense that you're not kind of a timetable teacher in um certain schools so what does your without, you know, you don't have to tell me what you have for breakfast or anything, but (laughs) what does your day-to-day, week-to-week schedule look like now during term time? Yeah, good question. So typical, again, usual cliche, no such thing as a typical week, blah, blah, blah. But if I was to kind of plot out an average week, I would probably be in a school three days um, Mm. a week. And that would involve one of two things. It would either be giving departmental support. So I would go in in the morning, watch a load of lessons, have a meeting with the head of the department, and then I'd plan some bespoke CPD for all the departments together in the afternoon. Or it would involve coaching. So I would go in for the day, work with four teachers throughout the day, watching their lessons, doing a coaching session, rehearsing and all that kind of thing. So that'd probably be three days a week. One day a week, I might be doing a keynote somewhere or running a workshop somewhere or something like, like that. I much prefer the school side of things because I learn I learn a lot from that. I've I've never learned more in these that yeah in my whole career than having these last two or three years that I've been because mm. I'm watching maybe hundred lessons a week and you just pick up so much. But that means that can then feed into my workshops, my keynotes, and so on. Because yeah, just a, a slight tangent here. That was one of the things I was really fearful when I stepped away from uh, full time teaching was that I, I wouldn't be relevant anymore. And you get all these people who are like mm. trying to tell teachers what to do. And you're thinking, you you, you won't have a clue. You won't have a chance of doing it yourself, mate. You know. Whereas I don't claim to have any credibility whatsoever. But what I can say is that last week, I saw this in a lesson with a teacher I was supporting. Or two weeks ago, I was coaching a teacher and they used to do this. And now they did this. And here's a picture of it and so on. So each one of my keynotes and workshops is fed into directly from the school's work that I've been doing for the last two to three weeks. So I really enjoy that. And then one day a week, I'd probably be spent at home um, doing, I have a company where I have my diagnostic questions work and I have, I write two newsletters a week and I do my podcast and so on. So I try and set aside at least one or two days a week mm. to kind of focus in on that. So that'd probably be a typical week. I'll tell you the downside though. There's lots of positives. Um, I am flexible in the sense I can pick and choose. Um, you, you get the usual thing. There's a bit of pressure. Like if I, if I chose not to work for six weeks, then there's no money for six mm-hmm. weeks. That's a bit of an issue. And there's a lot of travel involved. And we have a young family. We've got a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And those, it's very rare I get a book in where I can drive there in the morning. It tends to be an overnighter in London mm. or Newcastle or Scotland. So I'm away probably at least two nights a week, every week. And again, I'm not going to lie. It's it's not the worst thing for me, right? To have a good night's sleep, premiere and mixed grill and so on and so forth. But for my wife, it's it's not ideal at yeah. all. So that's something we're, we're thinking about for next academic year, whether we put a cap on it that I only do, I only ever do two nights a week and I pick certain nights I do. Just got to think it through because obviously 
as you know yourself, when you've got kids, things change a little bit in terms of constraints and priorities and, and so on. And would you consider going back to like, maybe not necessarily a full-time position, but a part-time position? Is this something now that you think you can foresee yourself doing for the long term or have you given any thought to that? Yeah, I think about it all the time. Um, So I experimented with part-time and I think, what what did I try? I tried four days a week teaching, one day a week outside, and that was okay. Um, But these days... I think I'd have too many opportunities to squeeze into that one day. So I'm not sure that would work. The problem is the the fewer days you do in school, um, and I assume this is true in most schools, the more you end up with either split classes or it's just a bit of a mess. And then mm-hmm. it's all trying to liaise with the other person and it's not found the kids and it's very disjointed and so on and so forth. So my school would be very supportive. If I said, if I said to them now, would I be able to come back two days a week? I'm sure. I'm well. <laughs> fingers crossed. That'd be embarrassing if they said no. But I, I think I think they'd let me. But I just I don't think it'd be a good experience for for, for anybody. So I think I'm certainly going to do one more year next year where I do what I've done this year. Then whether it's a case, of, I think it's kind of all or nothing. I think I'd go back full time or I wouldn't go back. So I've I've toyed with the idea of of going back full time for a few years. Mm. But maybe trying to do something different with that. Like I have no interest in being head of department. I've no interest in anything mm. like that. I just want to teach, but maybe doing something I've toyed with the idea of like filming all my lessons and using it as like a bit of a study where I put everything up on the internet and for people to kind of tear apart, but it's kind of a bit of a, just like a, a big bank of a resource. I, if I was to go back, I'd do it in hopefully what would be quite an interesting way. So that's something I've, yeah, I think about a lot and I, I think I will do it at some point in the fairly near future. Mm. Um, so you're kind of responsible for some of the best maths output um, there is I, I, I'm assuming having never used any of it myself <laughs> we'll go but, with uh, that it's a good line yeah we'll, we'll stick with it <laughs> um, but you know you, you can look at any sort of subject that's out there and you know if it's out in box with science or yourself with maths or Daisy with English or you know whoever I mean any we're blessed really as as a profession now with so many resources via Twitter and, and other kind of platforms in terms of uh, experienced teachers sharing, whether it's kind of for free just through a Twitter thread or, or books or podcasts and, and all these different things. Something I've thought about, I don't know, for the last two or three years, it came up through another conversation I had with uh, a different guest um, where they they said that they felt quite overwhelmed. They basically felt like every time they went on Twitter or or Facebook, as is the case sometimes with certain kind of qualifications, they just felt um, inadequate. They felt like they were the only one not reading something, or they they were the only one not developing a scheme of work on their their lunch hour and this kind of thing. So I th- it might be quite a hard question for you to answer because you're almost on the other side of the of the um, the provision when it comes to resources online but do you think there is any sort of sense of sort of professional dysmorphia out there that 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 can occur when um like maybe young sort of nascent teachers join twitter is is there a risk that they start to feel like they're never good enough because there's so many other people doing so many things and very vocally publish um publicizing it on all these different forums yeah, another good question. It's it's difficult. I often think of this as well. The 
When I first started, so what, back in 2005, there was very, very little um, out there. Obviously, the social, mm. there wasn't, so, God, this is old, right? The social media wasn't knocking around. The only kind of support for teachers in terms of resources was TES, and that was in its early days back then. And again, it's been a constant trend throughout my career that there's been more, every year, there's more and more and more. And it used to be, there's just more on TES, and you'd go on TES, you'd search for adding fractions, and there'd be 100 resources. Next year, it'd be 500 resources, then 1,000. And then as you say, when when Twitter really took off in terms of its kind of the, the edge of Twitter community, that's when it really reached a new level. And like anything, at its best, it's amazing. Um, but at its worst, two things can go wrong. Um, one is one you've alluded to, there's too much stuff. And then the other is, um, yeah, there's... F- there's crazy people on there, right? And that's the problem. And I've seen it. I've seen this before, and it really breaks my heart. This, where you've got a young teacher, young maths teacher, or an experienced maths teacher, and they share their first resource on Twitter. This I've tried this with my kids, and people just destroy them. And they're like, "That's terrible. Why are you doing this?" And they're just horrible, horrible. And if I, I tell you now, I, like I don't have a very thick skin. If I'd have done that, if that had been what I'd have done back in two thousand and five with my resources, and people had have done that. I don't think I would have shared anything again. And God knows what would have happened there. So, yeah, it's it, it's great for uh, getting ideas when you can when you can find them and sift through the noise. But yeah, that's just one one kind of negative side of it. But let's go back to your original question. This kind of fear of missing out is yeah, it's I I, I feel it all the time. And what I say to people, so I, I do when I do my kind of day workshops with with colleagues from all different subjects, I try and give them as many ideas as possible. So let's say, for example, I did I did a whole day um, PD with um, a school in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, and I think we could, we we counted up there was maybe a hundred ideas, something like that, one hundred and twenty ideas. And I always end my talks in the same way, and I say, look, the worst thing you could do after today is try and implement everything because it'll be mm-hmm. a disaster. So you go in the next day and you've changed your starter, you've changed the way your kids enter the room, you've changed how you do your explanation. It's a disaster because you for a few reasons it's too much for you it's too much for the kids and you it's like the worst experiment in the world you've changed all the variables and you've no, you can't isolate what's having an impact and what isn't so you've got to be really disciplined and you've just got to focus on one thing at a time you've got to think and i think you'd be quite tactical about this you can think what either what area of my teaching do I, am I really interested in at the moment? Is it the explanation phase? Is it the practice phase? Is it the retrieval phase? And if, if I have a passion for it, okay, let me go out and see what other people are doing in that area. And I can make little tweaks or you can think what area of my teaching do I think is probably the weakest at the moment? The one that either someone else has picked up on that there's an issue or or I've picked up on and go out and find ideas based on that. But if you do what I do and you crack open Twitter and you're immediately hit by 20 or 30 mm. ideas and you just try and implement those willy-nilly, it'll be a disaster. So you've got to be so disciplined and you've got to choose one idea at a time, disregard the rest, and you've got to focus in on that idea, do it and do it and do it until it's at the stage where it's relatively routine for you and routine for the kids. And then you start building in the new idea because there's no other option. Or the only other option is, as you say, you just get overwhelmed and it's it's a disaster, but it's your classic kind of paradox of choice. There's just, there's so much at the moment and it's, yeah, it's, it, you've got to force yourself to be disciplined. You, you, you really have, there's, there's no other option. Mm, yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think with regard to just the, the book thing, I mean, ironically, I kind of found myself listening to teach like a champion 
for the fourth, fifth, maybe mm-hmm. sixth time, like this summer while I went out jogging and stuff. And I thought, you know, I have a new teacher. In fact, someone did like a couple of months ago, a, new, a relatively new teacher said to me, oh, like, what book would you recommend? I sort of said to them, if you buy one book and you just read it again and again and again, it probably would just be Teach Like a Champion. Yeah. Like I find myself reading it or listening to it in this case, just uh, again and again, like again and again and again. You just, you can't, you can't really sort of, um, you can't take it in the first time you listen to it. You might, no. even if you make notes and you put it all in your journal and your diary and you try it out, like you say, like any good school, any school where their soul is not going to ask you for more than, two or three areas of improvement over the course of a you know an academic year so expecting more of yourself is is um yeah probably inadvisable um, just just on that chris i was the same with teach like a champion you know so i've got i got sent version 3.0 and whenever it came out 12 months ago or whenever it was mm-hmm. and i bought the audio audiobook too so i do a fair bit of running i thought you know what, i'm gonna listen to this again now i've read it cover to cover mm-hmm. yeah three or four times and i've also kind of dipped in and dipped out over the years I'm just going to listen to this um, now new version whilst, whilst I'm running away. And it was like it was a different book for me because mm. of the point I was in my career. And I was focusing on a completely different area. So I got, I went, I got obsessed with this concept of ratio and boosting the participation ratio. And I was thinking to myself, how have I missed this? How have I missed mm. this? And the reason I've missed it is that wasn't the thing I was focusing on when I read it, when I've been teaching for 10 years or 12 years or, or whatever it was. You're absolutely right. I think that was really smart advice that, that, Instead of kind of chasing the next education book and chasing the next podcast, I always say this to people, think of the thing that's had the biggest impact on your practice, whether it's a book, whether it's an article, whether it's a podcast, whatever it is, and give it a bit of time and then go back and re-listen to it. Because mm. if it was good then, one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to be still good and you're going to be able to reflect on the things that you tried based on it have you changed them in any way what did what did the original source say why have i changed it and so on that's an interesting thing or like we've had the experience you're going to pick up on something new and if the stuff you picked up before was good the new stuff's probably going to be even better so yeah i'm a i'm a big advocate of rereading or re-listening to things that have had an influence in the past as opposed to i mean i'm very lucky i get sent probably five education books a week no Mm. one can read them no one can read all them so i I'd, and again, the quality's up and down. I'd rather stick with the classics. Yeah, I'd be, mm. I'd be the same. I'd be exactly the same. But teach like a champion. Again, you could read that as a novice teacher and just be overwhelmed, right? Mm. Just thinking, there's 600 pages here. There's probably a thousand ideas. Where do I start? So you've got to be so disciplined, just picking mm. one at a time. I think um, quite a few of these education books. Um, that I've read a lot of them were ordered during the kind of the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. I think I paid quite a sort of a large surplus for via, uh, <laughs> through Amazon on, on that one. But I do remember during that, that kind of that period, I think you said before that so 2019, you mentioned that you, you started looking more at the consultancy thing or, or going out on your own and that kind of thing. Um, so I remember you posting on Twitter. It was quite a, it was a very honest kind of um, and open sort of post, and it chimed with me a lot because I had had he was one years old or two years old. No, he was one years old at the time. My child. And I remember you. I can't remember the exact post. I'm sure you wouldn't like me to kind of read it out verbatim now. But you kind of mm-hmm. shared on social media that you were, you know, struggling a little bit or kind of allowing having had allowed your job to affect your parenting and this kind of thing. Um, what has it been like juggling 
your many ventures, your job and kids, especially during the pandemic, but more broadly before and after that as well? Yeah, it's it's, it's tricky. Um, again, first thing to say is I my wife has it harder than me. As I say, I'm I'm not around as much as I I, I should be, and again, that's something we're looking to to, to address. Um, but yeah, it's tough. And there are times I think I've got it sorted. There are times when I think I've got a good balance. And there, are, and what I mean by that is, I think I'll always want to work hard, and I'll always be obsessed with work. But when I'm when I'm good, I can switch off. And the time I have with the kids can, and my wife can be, can be quality time. And that's, if you'd have, if we'd have had this conversation two months ago, I'd have said, things are good here. You know, I've, I've got the balance. I'm not home as much as I should be, but when I'm home, I'm there and we're having a good Mm. time and blah, blah, blah. It's an interesting time to talk this because I think I've, I've swung the other way at the moment Mm. where I'm super busy. I'm super, super busy, but I've still got time with the kids but my head isn't my head isn't there at all. I'm just thinking about what I've got to do tomorrow. This e- I've got all these emails that I haven't replied to. And I found myself, I had to check myself. This was, what was it, two nights ago? A little boy, Isaac, he's four. And he's at that stage where he actually loves his dad, right? It's a really nice stage. Mm-hmm. Like he actually likes spending time with me and he wants me to go, daddy, come and do this. Come and watch me do this. Come and come and play this. And I'm there and I'm sat with him and I've got the phone and I'm trying to reply to these emails whilst he's talking to me and stuff. And I just thought, why are you, what are you doing? But I think this is always the danger with me and it's, it's not good. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really not good. I can, I can go an entire weekend where I'm present with them. Well, sorry, I'm in, in I'm there in body, but I'm, I'm not there in mind and I, I've not cracked it yet. I keep thinking I have, but I'm always a couple of weeks away from it, from another slump. I think this summer will help. I'm going to try and take some, a decent break this summer um, to, to kind of reconnect reconnect with them. But there's a real danger. September will come along, October will come along, or busy, busy, busy. And yeah, it's just, I'm not good at it, Chris, if I'm entirely honest. Um, the tweet you were kind of mentioning before, that was the lowest point. That's when I thought, you know, this is this is just too much. And Twitter was a big part of that. Um, I've got a few en- enemies on Twitter who don't like the kind of pedagogy I talk about. And they shouldn't bother me, but they they did a lot back then. They still do now, but I've, I've muted off of them or whatever. But that was bad. That was like what I was talking about before. I'd post an idea just for free. Here's a resource you could use, and it'd just be this is shit. This is blah 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 blah. I'm like, I don't I don't need this. I don't need this at all. And that would affect my habit. Like I check my phone, and my mood would just go through the floor. So I'm better at that now purely because I've just muted all these people. But still, work work still affects me far more than it should do, particularly with family time. And it didn't, this is, I know I'm rambling here, Chris, but um, the thing that I've really realized with this is I've always been this way, but it's only become apparent when we've had kids because I was like this when it was just me and my wife, me and Kate, but if anything, she didn't mind, right? Because I'd come home and I said, I've got two hours. I've got to get this work done. I've got two hours. So she'd be fine. She'd go and watch a movie, you know, go hang out with friends or whatever. And it, it wasn't an issue, but now I can't do that anymore. I can't say I'm just going up to my office for two hours because we've, we've, we've got the kids. So what I try and do instead is do both be with the kids, but I'm also trying to work on my phone and it's just, mm. I'm, I'm crap at it. I'm really bad at it. So yeah, the honest answer is I don't juggle it well. I don't prioritize what well, people often say, people say, how do you fit it all in? How are you so productive? Blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. Well, the reason is I, I don't give enough time to family. That's the simple reason. It's it's not it's not a good answer. I've, yeah, I'm, I'm bad at it, really bad. You you have spoken in the past though about that kind of um, Oliver Berkman book. I always misquote mm. the number. What is it? Four thousand weeks. Four thousand. That's exactly. Four thousand, which is a great book. I think I think it was your recommendation that made me kind of go away and 
listened to it. I thought that was very good. Is there anything apart from that? Is there anything else which you kind of have tried looking into in terms of either reading or, or, or I don't know, any other strategies that you've tried uh, to employ to be present or? Chris, I've tried them all. I've, <laughs> I've tried, honestly, I, I'm one of these, right? And uh, again, you're right with the Berkman book. I've read that twice now and every t- I need to read it again. Cause every time I read it, I'm pretty good for the next couple of weeks. And then I just slip and it's the same with everything. I've done all the mindfulness stuff. I just can't, I just can't make it stick. I really, really can't make it stick. Mm. Sleep's a big thing for me, you know. I, I, I've talked about this in my podcast a, a few times now. So I, I'm not sleeping so good at the moment, and it's a vicious cycle, and it all feeds into it. And um, when I don't sleep, I struggle to see the balance, and my mind gets clouded, and so on and so forth, which then makes me more anxious, which leads to mm. worse sleep, and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, I've tried it all. Um, as I say, when, I, when I'm at my best, I'm I'm thinking about being present i'm thinking like bertman says i'm thinking you know this this stuff i'm worried about it does not matter it does not matter at all in the grand scheme of things what matters is what's right in front of me and the thing is and this is quite sad this i i I know i'll regret this time you know i know when i look back i'll think as i was saying like isaac he loves me at the moment and i know fast forward five years ten years he's not going to be bothered about me he's not going to want to hang out with me and I'll probably really want to hang out with him then. And I've got to keep reminding myself of, of that. So yeah, I've not found any any secret thing. As I say, when, I, when I'm on good form, meditating sometimes helps. Breathing exercises sometimes helps. Reminding myself to be present sometimes helps. But whenever I'm not on good form and I've not been sleeping, then everything else just kind of gets clouded out by, I've got to reply to this email. I've got to do this. I've got to write this next newsletter. It's all... It's all, yeah, it's all I can focus on. I have, I did listen to something recently, which was talking about um, this idea of having, <laughs> initially it doesn't sound like a good idea, but the idea of having two phones, essentially one, one's the cocaine phone and one's the kale phone, i.e. one's got like all the stuff. Kale would be all your work-related stuff, obviously, all the boring things, um, but ultimately healthy, obviously, given the name. And then the cocaine phone, you know, your Instagram and Twitter and all yeah. that, and you only kind of... But then I sort of shared that with my partner, and she said, but where would all your work stuff be? Because you're addicted to work, like yeah. I'm addicted yeah, to social. Yeah. So it's... I don't know, I think. But what gives me a little bit of um, that sort of reassurance is that I heard that James Clear, the Atomic Habits guy, mm-hmm. sort of interviewed a long time ago, and he was talking about how, you know, you need to be nice, you know, nice to yourself in the sense of you are always going to fall off track, and you've just got to yeah. nudge yourself back on blah blah. And I thought if he's saying that, then you know, there's hope for anyone. So, um, but yeah, I think that that definitely spoke to that resonated with me a hundred percent, Craig. So I'm sure there's lots of other people who are. Um, I don't know if struggling is the right word, but certainly kind of uh, battling um, yeah. with those kind of temptations and things. Um, I'll tell you just just one thing that does help. And again, mm. I've spoke about this before, but again, I'm even slipping to maintain this. And it's the simplest thing, right? This idea of gratitude is not quite the right word for mm. it, but just um, the end of the day, I, whenever Isaac's going to bed, I just ask him, what's it, what? What, tell me something good that happened today or what's your favorite part of the day or something like that. And he tells it to me. And then he asked me what my favorite part of the day has been, or tell me something good that happened today, daddy. That helps particularly the end of the day, just to frame things in a nice positive way. Mm. As long as 
after that, I just go to bed. I'm all right. But then if I do that, he goes to bed, then I go downstairs and crack open the phone. Mm. All falls apart. But I, I, th- I think that that would be something that that's worked quite consistently, consistently well, forcing yourself to do two things, to reflect on something good that's happened to you, but also hear the joy in somebody else. That's yeah, that, that seems to work quite well. That makes sense. Um, you said on uh, previous occasions that you love a website and that you've tried and tested lots of different projects that haven't worked out. Yeah. Um, what's your advice for someone, particularly, you know, we're in this sort of gig economy now. And and, and I think a lot of, sort of teachers who are 20, 30, 40 might, or, you know, whatever age might still love the job, but see, you know, friends down the pub or, or, or relatives doing a number of different jobs at once. And that kind of, um, what's the word sort of flexibility that certain other mm. careers afford. What's your advice for someone who sees teaching as their passion and they obviously mm. want to help as many people as possible and wants to work hard as establishing themselves, not just as a teacher, but maybe as a writer and or mm. consultant and or podcaster, et cetera. Yeah. It's it, again, good question. I, I think about this a lot. So I'm quite, um, I, I did economics at university and I'm a bit quite, quite kind of business obsessed with, uh, and I listen to a lot of kind of Tim Ferriss podcast and all this, mm. all these entrepreneurs. And I'm always thinking about, yeah, whether you call it the side hustle or whatever. It's really interesting in education because this, and this is a very, not probably the right thing to say, but a lot of teachers are trying to either get out of teaching or do, or reduce the teaching and do something else on the side. Mm-hmm. So lots of people are trying to, trying to do this. So it's quite a crowded market, but that doesn't mean the kind of cream can't rise to the top. I think when I, when I think about it, I, I, in terms of kind of making money kind of on the side and, and doing extra stuff, I think there's two ways you can think about it in terms of what you monetize. You can either try and monetize your content that you're producing. Now, the problem with that is that so many people in education give away stuff for free that if you're going to be charging, whether you're charging for a resource charging for writing, doing a book, anything like that, you are competing against either all the people who are doing it for free or all the people who are super established, got the brand behind them, have got their kind of thousand true fans and, and all this kind of thing. I think the safer option, and this is the route I went down, is you essentially give everything away for free that you do and you create this brand, you create this following, you create this reputation that opens other doors and you'll be quite surprised what doors it opened. So the doors it opened for me was it meant that people would ask me to give talks. So people would, schools would say, okay, we've, we've used, and it, we've used your resources on TAS or we've heard your podcast or we read this that you wrote. Would you come in and talk to our maths department? Would you come in to talk to our school and so on? And you can monetize that way because you, you kind of build a name or like the podcast is a really interesting example for me. I, I it's, when I started it, it wasn't designed to make any money at all, but it's probably been the single best thing I've done because it led to the book. It's a vehicle that I can use to promote anything else that I'm doing. And of course, you, you can take adverts and sponsorship once you reach a certain level. And I, I, I do that as well, but it's more than just, it's the wrong phrase to use probably, but the brand awareness, it's just a great vehicle for that. So mm-hmm. if anyone's starting out monetizing should be the kind of furthest thing for your mind. It should be, you've got to build that audience. You've got to get people talking and and valuing your stuff. And I see a lot of people who, you know, create one or two resources and then they want to start charging 20 quid, 30 quid for things, or they write a book, but nobody's heard of them. And it's just, it's, 
you're fighting a losing battle from, from the word go. So yeah, be prepared to do a lot for free, build that audience and, and, and see where you go from there. And I'll tell you the other thing I'm thinking about at the moment is, and this is a failed experiment of mine. I think it's, it's failing. It's probably on the verge of failure is when I did my tips for teachers, little spin-off thing. Um, I thought I was onto somebody with the video. So what I do is I speak to a teacher comes on, they tell me five tips. I record it as audio, put it out as an audio podcast, but I also record the videos, chop them up, put them on YouTube. And I thought this was going to go through the roof. I thought I'm going to be getting 10,000, 100,000, 200,000 views because no one else was doing this, right? Mm-hmm. On YouTube, that everyone's doing, like certainly the maths anyway, everyone's teaching you how to add fractions together on YouTube. Of course they are. But there was no high quality kind of professional development videos. And I thought, listen, if I've got Dylan William and he's sharing a short, sharp tip that I can chop up in a five-minute video, put it on YouTube, any school can use it in a departmental meeting or a whole school mm-hmm. insert or PD. People are going to be buying my hands off for this. And then I thought, I'll build this audience for this, and then I can either package them together and monetize that or something like that. Could People couldn't care less. I don't know what's going on with these bloody videos. Nobody's watching them. Mm-hmm. So I... um. Yeah, so the odd one will get 10,000 views or whatever. But compared to flipping out to add a fraction, you know, 3 million views or something, yeah. I don't know what's going on. So video is an interesting one. I haven't got video right, but if somebody out there can get video PD right on a mass scale in terms of YouTube, I, th- I think there's I think there's something there. But you're competing there against things like walkthroughs, teach like a champion videos and so on. Mm. But I don't think anybody's mastered that. So that, there's a gap there, but... Yeah, I've messed it up. So it's it's open for someone else, maybe. That um that YouTube, yeah, the YouTube thing certainly like I've heard a number of different people talk about that, how they just thought I don't know, just the lived because if you if you sort of came into school one day and someone said to me, I've heard about this sort of YouTube channel, it's just giving away PD for free. And it's got Dylan William mm. and it's, yeah, it's got, yeah. I, I, I'd be like, what are you to give it to me now? I think it was the same with um when they did that research ed home during the yeah. pandemic. And I was like, I was, cause I've lived abroad for a long, long time. So I'm obviously really disappointed that I can rarely ever, if ever make mm. it home to go to one of those things. Um, so when they were doing that, it was obviously quite a bright light at a dark time. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh, this is amazing. And talking to my partner saying like, Oh, this so-and-so is on this Friday. And so-and-so is on next Tuesday. This is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I sort of mentioned it maybe six months afterwards to a friend of mine who's a deputy head. And he kind of texted me back and said, what was that thing you were talking about last night? Can you send me a link to it? So I went back to these research at home videos and I was, I was astonished by how few views they had. I couldn't believe that it was, (laughs) you know, just completely free. Um, and I know, uh, sort of, you know, it's all the algorithm and 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 all these, you know, what what does your thumbnail look like and all these kind of things. But yeah, that's I think that that's really good advice actually. That even if you think you've got this incredible idea, and even if you think, you know, I'm going to give it away for free, and even if everyone's egging, you know, urging mm. you on, yeah, it yeah. might not come to anything, and you've kind of got to go again, I suppose. But um, I think it's the again, so I've thought about this a lot. So if I like if I record an episode of the Mr. Bart Maths podcast, maybe it's going to get 15,000 downloads, 18,000 downloads or whatever. I chop up a little video, put that on, maybe 150 views, 200 views or whatever. 
it, I think it's the medium. I think I, I mm. get the sense anyway, most people listen to my podcast on the commute to and from work, or as you're saying, they're mm. going for a run and they're listening to it, blah, blah, blah. The video thing, you've got to sit down and watch it, right? Or, you know, it's not quite as, as portable a medium. Or best case, a school's playing it for all their staff, then inset day, in which case it's one view for, you know, the 400 people who are watching mm. it and stuff. So yeah, you said, I was thinking I'm going to be one of these YouTubers. I was doing all the sums thinking I'm going to make a absolute fortune. Yeah. I think I, so I made, I looked at my YouTube stats actually. I think in the last 90 days, I think I've made nine quid on YouTube. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite retiring off YouTube <laughs> just yet, but it's, yeah, it's a funny one. I think that, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think I've, I'm going to have to move on from that anyway, but there you go. Yeah. Um, well, so in terms of moving on, in in terms of moving on, then like nice little segue to the final question. It is, for what it's worth, I did post it. I don't have a big Twitter following by any stretch of the imagination. I, I don't use it as much as I should probably, but I did post a long time ago about tips for teachers being arguably, I think it, it probably is. And like, you can send me the fiver in the post later if you want, but it probably <laughs> is the best free resource for teachers out there, like without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, we talked about teach like a champion before and there's, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of other really good stuff, but I, I, and again, I genuinely kind of, when I emailed that sort of um, emerging teacher uh, a couple of months ago, I think I said, buy this teach like a champion or, and, or, you can watch this or listen to this for free. And it was um, tips for teachers. And I think, um, yeah, it is just a fantastic resource. So in terms of um, whether it's for non-math specialists or math specialists, it's great. What What's motivating you to keep creating these resources? And I mean, you can be as frank as possible and just say, oh, money. But, <laughs> you know, it, and I'm sure that is obviously a, a major part of it. But what 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 is kind of you know, generating this enthusiasm, this motivation that you've talked about before, which you find so hard um, to switch off from? And if I can squeeze one more question in there, what what have you got planned um, for the future? Yeah, uh, good questions. So the the reason I did tips for teachers in the first place was I was getting a bit bored of doing my Mister Bart Maths podcast because I was lo- I was chatting to these people who were practicing teachers and I felt I had nothing to contribute because mm. I just stepped outside the classroom and I could no longer say whenever Daisy Christodoulou or Robert Bjork said something, I couldn't then say, ah, that reminds me of something I did with my year eights and so on. And I thought I can't, I can't maintain this. And it was felt like a fraud. So my original plan was just to stop, stop doing the Mr. Bart Maths podcast, just take a break and rethink. But I stopped and then about 10 days later, I had this idea for tips for teachers. And because I thought, you know what, this works quite well because people are just going to come on and they can just tell me five tips and it'll be short and sharp. Mm. And I can react to certain things and I won't need, yeah, I won't feel as on show and stuff and it'll all be about them. And yeah, I think it'll work. So having decided to take a break, I then said to my wife, oh, by the way, I'm starting this new idea, this, this tips for teachers. Um, and the motivation there was that the, there's always two kind of motivations with me when I do things. One is kind of a bit egotistical that I, I want to remain relevant. I want to, uh, yeah. And I, I've, maybe it's a battle, a sign of, well, it is a sign of weakness or ego or whatever, but 
I don't want to, I don't want to fade into insignificance. Um, mm. So I always want to keep doing a new thing. And each year I think, what is my new thing? And for last year, tips for teachers was more, that was my new thing that I was going to go, go all in on. Um, but the other reason is as well as relevancy, I want ideas. It's where I get all my ideas from is, is speaking to people or as I say, these days, watching, watching people teach and, and working with schools. So that's, that's kind of why I start, why, where I started it. But as I say, it's, um, yeah, I've kind of put it on pause for a, a second. I still produce the videos cause I, I, I chop them up from the Mr. Bart Mass podcast, but I'm really enjoying kind of going back to the, the long form stuff now, um, mm -hmm. So the Mr. Bart Maths podcast, some of those, like I, I interviewed Pritesh Rachura about how to get 100% student engagement. That was three hours, 45 minutes, and it could have been five hours, that one. And because now I'm in schools day in, day out, I can relate everything back to something I've seen. And it's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it much more. So that's what motivates me. It's the combination of relevancy. And it's the combination uh, and getting ideas and getting inspiration on top of that. As for what's next, it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. So I've told myself this summer, I'm not going to do any writing in terms of, I'm not going to write any books. The thing I'm enjoying most apart from visiting schools is my newsletters. I do two weekly newsletters. I do a tips for teachers newsletter, which is a short, sharp tip you can try out. And I do an ED newsletter, which is a, another company I, I'm a director of. And I write longer form content. So I, that's going to be a big focus of me next year. I want to really, really get good on these newsletters. I think, again, the, talking about kind of other influences before, when I listen to Tim Ferriss or James Clear, they always talk about having this newsletter base, having an email base, because people's habits kind of change or, you know, you, you put everything on YouTube, YouTube changes the algorithm, you're on Facebook, Facebook changes the algorithm, all, all of a sudden you've lost your audience. But if you have that email address, You've got a direct route into somebody's inbox. So you can, again, you can get exposure and so on. So I'm really enjoying the newsletter side of things. But I've got a few ideas for other, other projects. <laughs> I was about to contact John Cat, my, my publishers, and tell them I've got a new idea for a book. But then I, I said to Kate, I've got my wife, I've got a new idea for a book. And she said, just give it 24 hours before you contact them. So I gave it 24 hours and I thought, you know what, that is the worst idea I've ever had for a book. <laughs> and thank God I didn't mention them. So yeah, I've got, I've got to be careful. And the thing is, the, the reason is, so I wrote Tips for Teachers, the book, and it had, I think it's got 420 ideas or something to improve mm -hmm. teaching. If I was to write that today, I think I'd be up to about 600, 650 ideas um, just because I'm learning so much. So I'm thinking probably in a few years, I'll do like a teach like a champion. I'll put out version 2.0 of that, which will be an updated version and it'll be a big old thick one. And I've got a few ideas about how I'd lay it out differently and so on and so forth. So that'll probably be the next thing I write. Well, I'm going to try and force myself next year, next academic year, just to focus on the school visits, um, learning as much as I can from that, sharing everything I learn on the podcast and the newsletters. I'm going to double down on them next year. Every week I'm committing to doing two newsletters. I'm going to try and do two podcasts a month if I can but not take anything else on and just see where that gets me. Because as I'm saying all this already, I'm thinking it's too much that, and I've got to bear the family in mind and all that kind of thing, but I'm not, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to be focusing on next year and, and trying to stop my wife divorcing me because I'm, I'm not here all the time. So we'll, we'll see how much I succeed in that. I think that's really important though, Craig, to kind of get that, um, that sort of behind the look behind that behind the scenes, look at what it's like to be someone in your position though. Cause as I said, I think you were the, 
first person I started sort of listening to with regard to education uh, stuff. And, you know, you, you start to then sort of branch out into people like, you know, Peps or, or Adam Boxer or, or Daisy, Dylan William, um, David Dyerdow, all these people. And that thing that you mentioned before about like, how do you fit it all in? That is the perception from the outside. Mm. And it, I, I don't think it's just in the kind of the education industry. You've got all those kind of the, the gurus online, like Tim Ferriss or like uh, Ali Abdal and, and, and people like that. Um, and when you see them interviewed, they say more or less the same thing. It's like, it's not, you know, I, you don't do two hours of work in the morning and then go and play, you know, racquetball or something it, for the rest of the day. It is, it, it, it is like a constant balancing act. So um, all that remains for me to say really is thank you so much for uh, your honesty today or your, your input and your kind of insights and your expertise. Um, but more broadly, thanks so much for all the uh, free output that you've done over the years um tips for teacher mr barton podcast uh, i have to be honest and say i've never actually read the book but i certainly have listened to uh, all of the podcasts and I've, I've watched a fair few um of the tips for teachers videos but i'll go back and watch a few more now that you've kind of guilt tripped me about the uh the, the <laughs> click on some stuff. adverts as well if you can once you do it'd be great <laughs> will do so thank you very much for your time today group my pleasure mate my pleasure